Welcome to the All In Podcast. This week, we're joined by high performance and leadership coach, Matt Command. Matt works with athletes and organizations on a multitude of topics under the high performance umbrella. In this podcast, we talk a lot about being in the flow state, why that's beneficial and how you can do it. We dive into self-awareness and the growth mindset and actually talk about how you can start to build those things. We also talk mental resilience and so much more. I think you'll really enjoy and get some great learning out of this podcast. So without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Hey, welcome back to the All In Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Matt Command. He is a high-performance and leadership coach and the founder of Emergent. How's it going? And thanks for being here. Yeah, no, it's go- it's going really well. And thanks very much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited just from reading up on, on your stuff and what you do to really dive into two topics, which is resilience, um, as well as like being in the flow state or zone. I think those are two really interesting topics. And I'm sure we'll, we'll go beyond that. Um, but for any athletes, entrepreneurs, anyone listening, those are just two things that always pique my curiosity. So I want to start off with what do you define being in the zone or flow state? If those are two different things or the same thing, what do you define that as, as being? Like, how could you, I guess, a definition for that? Sure. So they, they kind of are the same thing, first of all. Uh, the flow, like flow is kind of the, the scientific term or research term. The more like slang term is being in the zone. So, right. you know, very sim- similar there. Uh, a definition, it, it's an optimal state of consciousness, uh, you know, characterized by engagement, high levels of absorption, uh, present focus, and we, we feel at our best and we perform at our best. So those are kind of uh, some things that characterize flow. Uh, a few other things happen typically when we're in the zone. Uh, time is distorted somehow. Either it gets really, goes by really quickly, like two, hour, two minutes goes by in two hours, kind of the time flies when you're having fun type of idea. <laughs> Um, and, or on the other hand, everything happens in slow motion. So let's say you're, you know, playing soccer, playing basketball, playing some sort of sport or doing something and the the players around you, the ball, everything seems to be in slow motion. You can make better reads. You can understand things better. And you're kind of like one step of one step ahead. So that's another characteristic and just, you know, supreme confidence, uh, everything's going right. A very decreased sense of self-consciousness. So, Often, maybe when we're playing sports or when we're giving a speech or, you know, going for a job interview, we have that inner critic or we have that person kind of uh, talking in our head, wondering how we're doing. Oh, was that a good play or not? Are they going to be angry or are my teammates going to be angry with me? You know, was that a good answer to the question in the interview? So we have this self-consciousness. And that gets really basically eliminated when we're in flow. The self-evaluation piece just really totally disappears. And so that's really good for performance. Um, Later on, it's always great to reflect, obviously, and evaluate how you did and things like that. But to do so in the moment of performance is really uh, kind of destructive. And uh, just kind of going with your instincts and and leaning on your training and things like that is a much better way to go. 
Mm, yeah. And uh, as a snowboarder, like the flow state and being in the zone is just massive. And I think that's a big conversation in action sports, right? Is how can you get into that flow state? And then there's also that uh, there's a lot of talk that action sports almost just force you to get into that flow state because you can't be doing all this, you know, self-critical thinking. Uh, your life is on the line at some points and all the adrenaline is going and and you gotta you you just gotta like focus on the moment. And um, one thing that I remember from the times that that I really recall in my mind of being in the zone uh, or being in the flow state is that I can vividly go back and put myself in that moment versus those other times in like my snowboard career that I can never like visualize or put myself back. Do you think that there's like some correlation there? Um, I'm not an expert on this, but that those are the states that when we can consciously go back and like recall versus the states where we're just living through life and we have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I know. It's amazing that you said that. So uh, when when we're in the zone or in, in flow, certain things happen in our brain on, on both a biological level and a chemical level. Okay. So um, one of the things that happens is adrenaline uh, is, is increased in our brain. So adrenaline kind of increases our alertness and our attention, uh, physical and mental. Um, so that's one thing that kind of heightens our attention and narrows our focus. So as you mentioned, you know, when we're in extreme sports or, or you know, snowboarding, for example, we can't really think about like what we're having for dinner that night because the, the task is, is so detail rich. Like the, the environment is so rich and detailed that you have to pay attention to things to make good decisions and, and not get hurt, uh, specifically in, in, in uh, adventure sports. So that's one thing. Adrenaline heightens our alertness and narrows our focus. And then a, a neurochemical called acetylcholine actually kind of highlights relevant cues, relevant information, the most relevant stimuli in our environment, and kind of like tags it in for our brain, for lack of a better term, and, and basically marks it for later and says, that was important. Pay attention to that and remember that. So if we all think about it, examples when we were in the zone, the level of detail that we can recall, you know, where the ball was, where we were in relation, the, how the sun was shining, um, which way our toes were turned, like literally the, the minute details uh, come back to us so quickly because of that heightened alertness. And then that heightened kind of highlighted um, stimuli or information in the environment. So there's, it's funny that you say that and you're exactly like bang on with, with the biology and chemistry behind it, because those are some things that happen uh, when we're in flow. So if an athlete can recall, if they can go back or an entrepreneur, anyone can go back to these moments and really vividly recall these moments of high performance. And is that a good sign that they were in flow so they can start thinking about what steps they took to get there? Yes, exactly. I think, Again, going back afterward and examining, you know, when am I in flow? When do I kind of lose myself in the activity? When does time go by quickly? When am I totally engaged? And then kind of do that reverse engineering and say, okay, well, what was I doing? You know, who was I with? What was I paying attention to? What environment was I in? Uh, all those questions can then, you can start to understand for you personally, what are the character characteristics uh, of personal flow. There's a few for, for everyone that, that are pretty consistent, but how you trigger them, I guess, and how you make them personal to yourself, I think would be uh, a great way to go back and look at it. Yeah, really cool. Cause I think, you know, just self-examination and self-awareness and going back and that's a great tool for people, especially if they're just starting, they're just hearing this concept of flow state or the zone. If they can go back and think about 
wait, there was times that I was in there that that can really help them resonate with the whole idea of it and why they might want to get into that state more. Um, that being said, how can people get into the zone or into that flow state more? And why is it beneficial for them to, to be in that state? Yeah. So there's, uh, I'll start with the, the benefits. I mean, there's, there's lots of emerging research around how our brain actually changes when we're in flow and how we're able to recognize patterns more effectively. So, you know, whatever, if we're playing a sport, if we're looking at business trends, if we're looking at, you know, being an entrepreneur, whatever it may be, in our environment, there are typically patterns we, we need to recognize uh, that can help us make better decisions, right? And words like anticipation and, and awareness and things like that come up specifically in sports. Uh, the other thing uh, I think is in terms of uh, being able to be in the present moment. So the more that we're in flow, we're able to kind of attune to the, 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 sorry, the stimuli in our environment and we're able to pay attention to that. And when we're in the present moment, we do our best work. And also, you know, again, research shows anxiety uh, can be decreased the more present we are, uh, the more creative we are when we're in the present moment. And again, making those connections between two unrelated concepts, that's typically what creativity is, right? Bringing two things together. And again, when we're in flow, um, our certain parts of our brain, you know, kind of flood with activity and, and collaboration, creativity, pattern recognition, um, all those things are massively amplified. And then there's some biological benefits too. high, you know, increased quality of sleep, um, you know, uh, decreased stress, decreased cortisol, all, all, you know, a whole kind of uh, array of, of biological benefits as well. Oh, I'm so pumped. You just ended with that, with, with talking about the biological benefits and specifically sleep, because the, uh, the, the two podcasts ago from when this podcast is coming out for those listening, I did a podcast with uh, my friend Liz Gledo, who's a two-time Olympian. And something we've been noticing over in 2020 that we were just talking on Instagram about was that we have super high REM sleep and we cannot figure out why, especially when every article is about get more REM sleep, you should get more REM sleep. And then I found something that says like getting too much consistently, you know, it could cause anxiety or so on, but it's just not normal, like per se that, you know, we're trying to look up like, how can we get less, less REM? That's just not something that's out there. So we determined, basically we, we recorded our whole thought process on this and um, people can go back. I think it's episode 67. If anyone wants to go back to that one. And uh, at the end, we said we were going to track three things against our REM sleep and our um, overall recovery. And I don't know if you know, like the whoop band, I have one on here, but uh, we both have that. So we're tracking that and we're going to track the first one um, was time spent outside or in flow state. Nice. That was a huge one. Um, and we determined the other ones were anxiety and decision fatigue. And then the last one was like voyeurism, just social media scroll time, not creating, but just like being consuming content. Sure. So we were thinking that there might be this link. And of course, we're not experts. We like to listen to like uh, neuroscience podcasts and things like that. But, you know, from our knowledge, we were like, do you think that there's a there's a correlation there with flow state. Cause I was saying, you know, me being outside cross country skiing and just getting into the zone and not thinking about anything else. I found that those days I spent all my days outside or, or just snowboarding, my recovery and my sleep is different the next day. Could you walk, could you talk about that correlation with sleep and the flow state? Cause I'm just like so interested in this. And I think if anyone listened to that podcast, this could help them. Sure. So it's, it's actually, it's great that you're taking on that project with your friend though, and, and reflecting in such a deliberate way. That's awesome. So it's, it, 
the relationship between sleep and flow is actually kind of somewhat cyclical where right. uh, getting into flow states and, and being engaged and kind of losing ourselves in the activity can increase the quality of sleep. However, really high quality rest and recovery is absolutely essential to get into those flow states. So it's kind right. of a cycle that builds on each other. So, uh, you know, earlier we talked about attention and being, you know, really alert and tuned into what's going on in your environment and reading patterns and changing stimuli and all that. Well, that's really hard to do when we're not well, well rested. And we can all think back to maybe high school or university when, you know, we're not getting a lot of sleep and we're trying to pay attention in class or trying to pay attention when we're overtired, overwhelmed, maybe burnt out. And one of the first things to go is our ability to uh, pay attention and then retain what we've attempted to pay attention to. So that's drastically altered when we're low on sleep and, and not uh, engaging in and active rest. So that, that's kind of what I would say around sleep and flow is that they kind of build on each other, where it's very difficult to lose ourselves in the moment and be engaged and have these optimal states of consciousness when we're not making sleep and active rest a, a priority. Right. Yeah. I think that goes for so many things like, you know, you have high stress that causes you to stay up at night. You get bad sleep, bad sleep causes the higher stress, higher levels of cortisol, and it's just an endless loop. And it seems like a similar thing with these high performance states. So for us, we've been tracking almost the opposite way. So instead of like, how does our sleep affect our quality of the time? It's like, how does the quality of our day affect our sleep? Because we're specifically like, how can we get less REM? Because we feel like we're getting a lot. And from what I know is like, REM is basically like your therapy, like your problem solving and all that. So my thought process, and tell me if I'm totally off base or, or if you don't know, um, is that if I spent all this time outside in that flow state, then versus like, you know, just being in a state of anxiety, figuring out problems all day, like just building problems in my head, that perhaps my REM sleep will decrease because I'm not in like that therapy mode when I'm sleeping. I had like a, a day where everything was just performed well and there's not too much to problem solve when I go back, you know, to bed. Yeah. So I'll start with this. I'll preface it with I'm definitely not a sleep expert or no, no too much. Um, about it. But what you're saying makes sense in terms of giving your mind a bit of an outlet to think through problems, to be creative, to wonder, you know, and, and wander. And then oftentimes when people have trouble sleeping, it's that they're overthinking, quote unquote, overthinking right. and thinking about the past and the future are typically the two biggest distractions, right? When we're trying to sleep. What has happened in the past, maybe we're angry with a significant other or our boss, or we are angry with ourselves that we said something we didn't mean, or we weren't prepared enough for, for, for a job interview or something like that, or we're worried about what might happen in the future. So when we are, when we do give our, our mind that those chances to, to wonder and, and be engaged, uh, again, that kind of taps us into the present moment. And then that's, that allows us to do the same when we're trying to fall asleep. Uh, there's also a neuroscientist named Andrew Huberman. I don't know if you're That's familiar is, with Yeah, him. we're both, yeah. yeah, both of us who, who did the podcast. Uh, yeah, we're both uh, big fans of Andrew Huberman. And he yeah, just so released he, one on sleep. Yeah, so he, he's outstanding. So any, any of your listeners, I'd highly recommend his podcast. Yep. And uh, he discusses briefly in one of his episodes how the like sunlight literally affects our brain. And obviously, like it sounds so obvious, but yep. waking up and going to bed uh, with the sun, which is not always possible in today's world, obviously. But, um, you know, understanding that by 11 at night or midnight, you know, 
our evolution has programmed us to be asleep by then. And obviously now there's stuff on TV, our phones, like there's so many things that can keep us up. And I would wager most people, it's maybe not like writing or doing a puzzle or uh, reading or doing something like that. It's probably a lot more, like you said, kind of that mindless wandering, wandering on social media or Netflix or whatever, right? So, um, so that's definitely one thing to, to just be aware of, you know, what time are we kind of shutting down and what do we do like 30 to 60 minutes before bed? Uh, that might be something to examine as well. Obviously, we want to try to shut down any screen time and maybe have a, a bit more of a bedtime routine. Uh, and not just like brushing your teeth and getting in your PJs, <laughs> but, but maybe doing yoga, doing some deep breathing, uh, being a bit more deliberate about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know before uh, before we hit record on this, I was telling you about how, uh, you know, it was cold and negative 20 this morning, but how I went outside on my deck. And that's exactly why, because since I, I listened to uh, Andrew Humerman's stuff, um, I think he he was on, he got interviewed by someone uh, late last year. And, and that affected me in the sense of like, I need to go and get sunlight in the morning. So I wake up before the sunrise is pretty easy to do in the wintertime. Um, I meditate and all that. And then I usually I finish that right when the sun's coming up so it gives me that perfect opportunity now that it's light out to get that sun as as the sun comes up and I found that's incredibly helpful for like even just getting sleepy at the right time and mm -hmm. resetting the circadian rhythm and that's made a, like a major change in my life and what's funny is people forget that these things sound so simple like the sun can really change something like all these things but we don't realize that our brains and like just our bodies are still like we're, we have the same patterns as like millions of years ago. Like we're, we're built that way. And all of a sudden now we have technology, social media, but we're not like built to adapt to that yet. Like we're still living like cavemen when it comes to our circuitry. So sure. I, I think that's kind of where flow state plays a role too. And that was our thought process is like flow state is almost like just being like, you're just in a state of being. Right. And so it's just kind of primitive in, in a sense. It is. And it's, you know, I, I've had a question a couple of times, like, you know, can adults do it better than kids or teenagers? You know, so mm. obviously as kids, they're, you know, in the zone or in flow a lot more often. They're lost in play a lot of times. They're lost in, you know, their numbers or their blocks or their coloring or whatever it is that they're yeah. doing. And they're very rarely are they're like, oh man, I have to get up tomorrow morning. I hope I'm not tired. Where a lot of adults might think like that. Obviously adults have a lot more responsibilities than kids. That goes without without being said. Um, but it also has to do with, as you mentioned, the development of the brain and uh, our prefrontal cortex, which is the part kind of right behind our forehead. That's responsible for like forecasting and long-term decision-making, rational decision-making. And it doesn't really get formed to its extent until our early to mid twenties. So that's why kids and teenagers mostly, we can all maybe remember some decisions we made as teenagers that probably don't reflect a great <laughs> decision long-term, you know, whether we're staying up late or we're doing things we shouldn't be doing or we're, we're acting impulsive. And typically those behaviors decrease as we reach our, you know, let's say our mid twenties, right? So uh, that part of our brain develops through childhood and adolescence. And hopefully we're a lot more rational as we, as we get older. However, Hopefully. That, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. However, with that being said, that is also part of what makes it more difficult to be in flow uh, as an adult yeah. because of that heightened, you know, self-awareness, self-consciousness, planning, all those things that the prefrontal cortex are responsible for. It's now fully developed. So we kind of have to work harder to shut it off. 
That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you see all the young kids coming up now in action sports and even myself, like there was just, there was a different approach that I had then uh, to snowboarding when I was competing then versus as I got older within the sport, like I've been out of it now for uh, over five years, but it's just so different. Like when you, like you said, maybe not having that reflection um, and not you know, I just feel like I was in flow more. I feel like I was a little bit more fearless, you know, mm -hmm. the decisions came easier. And then, you know, as I started maturing, it was like, oh, what could this do? This, this could end like this, or this could do this. And that really prevented from getting in that zone state. Um, is there any, you know, specific exercises or things that, that people can do like meditation or things that you recommend that help people get into the zone or at least train their brain to get into that state of mind easier? Yeah. So I, I would start with mindfulness and uh, obviously that's become a lot more prevalent maybe in the last five or 10 years or so. And it, it might be new for a lot of people, but just experiment with it. Just try to understand or, or try to get a feel for what works for you. There's several different types of mindfulness. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, 30 or 60 minutes sitting cross-legged, you know, breathe. like it can be that. And that's very effective for people, but it can also be you know, maybe in shorter chunks, maybe it's one song or five songs that you listen to for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, or even shorter, maybe five minutes, and you just reflect on your breathing, or pay attention to your breathing. And as your, you know, your stomach rises and falls, and try to direct your attention to that, uh, and try to direct your attention to that present moment. So again, being in being in flow, it's not only that, you know, other things uh, don't matter. It's that they don't even exist in that mm. moment. Like you're so focused on what you're doing that you lose track of time. You're not hungry. You don't have to, you know, like all those things just kind of uh, disappear totally. So mindfulness can help us be in the present moment more often and tap into our feelings, tap into our environment, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're smelling, all those details, um, as well as it can help us recognize when we're not in the present moment. So we can recognize now and create that space between, uh, you know, our us and our awareness. You know, it's right. awareness of our awareness type of thing. So we can understand, oh, hey, I'm, I'm not focused on the soccer game right now or the board meeting I'm in or, or the Zoom meeting or whatever it might be. Uh, I'm, my mind has wandered to what I'm doing for dinner or the laundry I've got to do or how my boss is a jerk or whatever. Uh, and we can bring it back to the present moment. So it's kind of that twofold. It, it allows us to be more present and also allows us to recognize when we're not. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that like mindfulness and self-awareness are like the basis to yeah. a lot of things when it comes to high performance and just you know, personal development and self-improvement, because I think a lot of people, they may read a book and say, oh, I should do this or do this. And they just follow those things, but they've never dived into themselves to like one, be able to, you know, have that mindfulness in the moment to recognize things as they're happening and then make decisions on them or just even see them as what they are. Um, and then also just know themselves and, and where to start from. So I'd, I'd love to dive into to self-awareness and that whole concept, because I think it comes up a lot in talks about yeah. high performance. Uh, for me, personally it's something that it's like it's a buzzword that I use all the time in so many conversations um, one thing that I do notice like for example if anyone's going on this journey of you know they want to be a higher performer but they might not have that self-awareness um, and it might feel like critical to come at them and say like hey you need to you know work on knowing yourself right I think there's pushback there especially if it comes from like a friend or family mm -hmm. uh, how would you approach that how do you you approach that discussion where someone wants to get to this higher performance but they haven't even 
dived within? How do you get them to even start that journey on their own? So the first thing for, for my work with clients is, is developing a relationship with them, a trusting relationship. If they, if we don't really know each other and I, you know, I don't know them, they don't know, they don't trust me. It's, it's hard to have those types of conversations. So focusing on, you know, displaying empathy and, and, you know, active listening and all those things, I think can build that trust. And then from there, we, we really, it's a great question. I don't know if I ever really name it. Like, I think you can benefit from more self-awareness. I, we would just start by examining some self-reflective questions and saying, mm-hmm. you know, when are you at your best? Uh, when are you not? <laughs> um, you know, what are your emotional triggers? If you examine the last maybe five or 10 times that you've lost your cool or become very frustrated, you know, what happened 30 to 90 minutes prior to that? There's typically some events. Uh, and then is there a consistency there? Is there a pattern to that stress? Is there a pattern to those those events. Uh, and then understanding how you experience stress. You know, certain people get very quiet and very resigned and introspective and, you know, don't really do too much. And that's when they behave like that, that means they're stressed. Other people, as we know, maybe get very animated and very angry and loud and demonstrative and expressive. You know, and then there's other people in the middle. So again, exam, you know, are you able to recognize in yourself some signals and say, whoa, I'm not who I want to be right now. I'm, I'm not in my, my zone. I'm not in my sweet spot. Uh, these are some signals that I want to look for. Right. And then, uh, so that's kind of the, the barrier uh, or the trigger discussion, I guess. And then it's, when are you at your best? You know, where, where's your attention uh, for the, to, to start with? And then, you know, what are you feeling? What are you pay, paying attention to? Who are you with? All those things. And then practicing our attention, being more deliberate with it and saying, okay, when, when the referee makes a bad call or when your boss chews you out in front of the team, yeah, it's, it's not great, obviously, um, but we can be deliberate with our attention and focus back on our anchors, which is what we call them, you know, the things that, that keep us centered and grounded and, you know, direct our attention much more deliberately rather than kind of at the whim of our emotions. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like emotional, emotional regulation is such a big part of, uh, of high performance and just knowing those things that maybe take us off or set us off to be reactive in certain ways and trying to work through them. Um, how, do you, how do you approach that? How can people become more emotionally regulated so that they can just be better high performers, but also better like in their relationships and their life and their everything that they do? Yeah, great question. So, so how we start um, with with a lot of either athletes or or you know uh, corporate clients as well is understanding on a one to ten scale of of energy or of intensity. Let's say so one is very low, you're relaxed, you're very chill, you're kind of laid back, and ten is very agitated, very pumped up, high level of energy. So, I would ask the client, you know, when you're at your best, when you're performing at your best, you're feeling it, everything's going well, where are you on that scale? Right. And, and really there's no wrong answer. It depending on the sport you play, the job you have, your personality, your boss or coach, the environment that you're in, like there's really no wrong answer. Some people perform at their best when they're at a two or a three uh, and some are at a seven or an eight. Right. So uh, or, or a nine or 10 even. So just understanding where they are on that scale 
And then again, recognizing the signals to be like, wow, I'm not in my sweet spot right now. I usually operate at, at a six. I am way, way <laughs> at a 10 or I'm at a, I'm at a 15. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, recognizing again, what's going on for you, you know, behavior wise, emotion wise, thought wise in those moments, and then developing the skills to get you back in your sweet spot. So that's deliberate breathing. Uh, it's potentially mindfulness. That's imagery and visualization. Um, we, we do an ABC, which is accept, breathe and choose. So we accept what's going on, even though we may not like it, we take a, a couple of deep breaths and we choose our response. And that's a bit of a reset routine. So there's all these tools that we build. And then again, depending on the person and their personality and things like that, they're able to pull on those tools uh, if and when they need them. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And I think like intention there is such an uh, important word as well as that space um, that you can create be between your response. Um, I mean, essentially, that's that's mindfulness right there. And uh, I think that's important. I think uh, not many people um, have built that. And I hope it's a conversation and something that, you know, more people can do, because I think if we are more emotionally regulated, we're less likely to just have these intrusive thoughts or act upon uh, whatever it is that, you know, could be negative to our performance or our relationships or right. Like if, if our boss says something and we react, uh, immediately that could not go so well, depending how that reaction is sure. versus if we can take that pause and, and, uh, create that, that space there. For sure. And, and yeah, that's a great point. And, and I would also, uh, I would also mention that doing some preemptive work, uh, is always beneficial. So yes, responding to an emotional event is, is benefit, you know, can be beneficial. We have these tools that we can use as an intervention in the moment, but prevention is always better than intervention, right? So, uh, you know, one of the first things we talk about with clients is their values. You know, what are three or four, maybe five values that they want to stand for in their life that they want to represent that they, you know, when other people talk about them, they want these words to come up. You know, whether it's honesty, respect, hardworking, family, purpose, you know, community, whatever, whatever your values are. And then having an awareness of this is what I want to dictate my behavior, not my emotions. Right? A lot of us, obviously myself included, you know, we're all human. At times, we, our emotions dictate our behaviors and our decisions. Yeah. When really, if we want to live a more of an aligned life or more of a... Uh, you know, a meaningful life and a fulfilled life, having our values dictate our decisions and our behaviors is, is a good way to do that. Very difficult, obviously, it takes a lot of discipline, <laughs> but, hard. Uh, but that's the way to go. Yeah. 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 And I think it's like a lifelong journey, right? Like we are obviously we, the goal of being more mindful and being a high performer isn't to become a robot. So of mm -hmm. course we're still going to have our emotions, but it's just, you know, be able to create that space and dictate how we, how we react to things um, despite what, what that initial emotion is and feeling it and recognizing it and seeing it. Um, I, I want to go back to something that you said with the questions that you asked based on like how, you know, you, you ask someone, you say, based on the scale of your energy, um, where do you feel like you perform at your best at? And I think that's just a really important point to highlight because you mentioned that it is different for everyone. And if mm -hmm. people just read a book on high performance and it says, maybe it says at the level seven energy, that's where you perform best. And so they're like, okay, let's level seven energy every day. And then they're like, why isn't this working? They might give up on the whole pursuit of whatever they're trying to improve on when they haven't gone within themselves to ask themselves a question like, 
this is individual to me. What is the actual level that works best for me? So I think, you know, if anyone has a chance to try to reflect in any way, um, that's really, really important. And developing that self-awareness that we, we've been talking about, I think it's just so key. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and it's exactly when you're working with a team or, or a business of some organization and you try to, you know, say this one size fits all, these are, this is the only tool or this is the best tool that might fall on some deaf ears at times where it's more, Hey, we're going to build all sorts of tools and recognize that everybody's different. Everyone's coming from a different background, different experience level, a different way of interacting with their environment. And then you can develop that comfort level with certain tools or not. And and kind of, uh, I always encourage people to work through the initial awkwardness at times, whether it's mindfulness or meditation or deep breathing, imagery, self-affirmations, like all these things that we talk about. Uh, initially there, there could be some awkwardness or some tension, you know, so I encourage people to fight through that, but then, um, just find what works for them. Yeah. I mean, self-awareness isn't an easy journey, right? Like you have to look Mm -hmm. within and that might make you realize that you were in the wrong on some things or you have work to do. Right. And that can be very difficult, but I think like anything, um, you become more resilient to that process where you can start taking that feedback. And that leads into the the topic of mental resilience or make people know of mental toughness. And I think right now more than ever, that's, you know, a big topic as people are still locked down, maybe their gyms are closed and they're wondering how can they still have this like inner drive and the mental resilience and toughness to, you know, keep pushing on these things that they know will make them a high performer despite changes externally that make it uh, the environment maybe not as easy to do so. Um, How how can people do that and how have you approached those conversations throughout this uh, pandemic? Yeah, so I I think the, the place to start is kind of reframing or redefining what struggle means to us. And this is a conversation mm-hmm. I have, you know, we have constantly where we're, we're kind of conditioned to think growing up that struggling or failing or making a mistake is, is really bad, right? And, and undesirable. And in some instances, sure. However, you know, in, in, if we think about growing up in school or growing up playing sports, if we make a mistake, what typically happens? You know, we either get criticized, we get punished. Uh, if we're playing sports, typically we get a like a decreased opportunity. You know, we play less or we don't make the team the next year or something like that. Um, where that, you know, as I mentioned, conditions us to think, oh, mistakes are bad. I'm going to stay in my comfort zone and I'm just going to try to do what I'm good at. And that's that because I feel pretty good here. I feel safe here. A lot of people do that and that's fine, you know, living in your comfort zone, but it's not a great way to grow. It's not a great way to get better. And as you mentioned, when we're faced with unpredictability and chaos and uncertainty, typically people like that respond to it in a, in a pretty fragile way, let's say. Yeah. So what we want to do is reframe that idea of what struggle means. Struggling just means that we're missing something or that we have room to grow, you know, and, and a lot of times when we make a mistake, we have that negative self-talk. Oh, I don't belong here. I guess I'm not cut out for this. Uh, I'm not as good as so-and-so. We, we make up these stories in our minds, right? Versus approaching that struggle with a sense of curiosity and saying, what am I missing here? You know, mm-hmm. what, what can I learn? What are they doing that I'm not? 
you know, so instead of being be jealous of a successful peer, um, being inspired by a successful peer, you know, and reaching out and asking, you know, what they're doing, things like that. So um, redefining that struggle is, is something, as I mentioned, we, you know, we talk about constantly and not attaching these like fake stories that we make up in our head that we're not good enough or anything like that. It's much more about learning. It's an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to, to challenge ourselves. I think confidence is really linked with that where, you know, the number one thing typically that every coach or parent has ever reached out about is confidence. Oh, my team doesn't play confident or this athlete lost their confidence. Uh, How do we get it back? That type of thing. So I I think a lot of us, and even, you know, the the definition of confidence is our ability to, the the belief in our ability to complete a particular task or or something like that. Right. Um, But what we want to do is, is broad. That's very narrow. Yeah. Right. What, you know, am I, do I believe in my ability to complete this particular task in that particular way by this particular time frame? That's usually how we think of it. And if 2020 taught us nothing, it's that, you know, challenges and goals uh, very rarely present themselves in the way that we prepared for them. There's always, there's always uncertainty. There's always unpredictability. There's always more steps uh, or uh, a longer road we have to take. Uh, so kind of shifting again, our mindset from, you know, I'm confident in my ability to achieve to I'm confident in my ability to adapt and adjust and whatever is thrown at me, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a new team I'm transitioning to, whether it's uh, a new boss I've been assigned to, or, or a new department I've been reassigned to, you know, whatever is going on externally, I believe in my ability to adjust to that rather than, oh, achieve, you know, goal X by such a date, right? So um, broadening our perspective on confidence, I think is always beneficial and what confidence means to us. And then, as I mentioned with the resilience, just broaden or redefining what struggle means. I I love that what you brought up about confidence because that's something I say a lot. I say confidence isn't, you know, knowing that you're not going to fail. It's knowing that you'll be okay regardless. Um, And so that that ability to adapt, I think, is so important and has really played out um, its importance over the last year, for sure, um, as we've seen. And, you know, times are tough. Things are changing and outside of our control. But, you know, if we can just be confident that we'll be okay no matter what happens externally, I think that's like, you know, the, the real definition of confidence or at least the important part right to becoming more mental mentally resilient and um so something that you that you mentioned uh kind of related me back into a thought process on the growth mindset um and uh and when you've said about like kind of you know choosing or rethinking struggle in, in a sense i think that a lot of people um they hear about the growth mindset but they might not even realize that they're in a fixed mindset when you are in it how can someone make this discovery for themselves that oh my gosh i am in this fixed mindset i i believe i can't do this or i could never or um you know jealous of this person instead of inspiration how can they recognize that and start the steps of trying to build a growth mindset or make that switch. Yeah. So I think honestly, it's, it's a lot of what we've talked about already, which is self-awareness and those reflective questions, you know? So, um, understanding, you know, what do I tell myself when I succeed? What do I tell myself when I fail? What do I tell myself when things are hard? And kind of recognizing that self-talk would be, would be one thing and even writing it out. And often what I've come to learn is, um, working with clients like the in their mind in the moment 
they might say things like you suck or you don't belong or you don't belong here. And exactly taken out of context, they read it later on and they're like, that's really silly. Like, that's not true. I was just angry with myself. Right. So we, we somehow rationalize this like negativity that we have. And then again, taken out of context, it's, it's totally doesn't apply. So that, that would be one thing. And then I think growth mindset, you know, um, obviously gets really a lot of play in, in high schools and growing up in different organizations, which it should. And I think pairing it with that curiosity. So again, it, you know, hitting a plateau or struggling really doesn't have to mean a lot about what you are. It's not, it's not an evaluation on your skill set. Um, it's, it, it means that you're missing something. You just haven't learned something yet. So again, those, those open-ended questions, what am I missing? You know, is there, is there more information I need to take on? Uh, how can I do this in a, in a more well-rounded way? Questions like that. Um, and uh, questions like that, I think, will, will help that process along. And then just removing permanence. Uh, which, and w- what I mean by that is oftentimes we make like final assessments. Like, you know, I've heard kids say for years, I suck at math. It's like yeah. you're 12, man. Like, you, you know, like <laughs> you probably have a lot to learn maybe. Um, and maybe you have more to learn than your peers at, in your grade, but you're 12 years old. Like you yeah. have a lot, you have a lot of room to grow where I hear it now with, with adults that I work with. Oh, I suck at public speaking. It's like, well, you know, maybe you're not very good today, but that, but your, your skill set of public speaking is not carved in stone. Right. And even in the book mindset, you know, they talk about the word yet and how powerful that is. It's like, I'm not good at public speaking. It's like, well, no, you're not good at public speaking yet. Yeah. And that's not to say that we're, we are uh, glossing over weaknesses or we're glossing over, um, you know, areas that we need to improve on or anything like that. We're acknowledging them and saying, yeah, I'm not a good public speaker right now, um, but I know I can get better. I can improve. You know, am I going to be a national level uh, on the debate team, you know, maybe not, but can I hold a meeting and can I engage with people in a, in a facilitative way and things like that? Absolutely. So just catching ourselves when we're, when we're trying to make permanent assessments of ourselves or others, you know, right. I've, lots of coaches I've heard, I've heard them say things like, Oh, he can't play point guard. He doesn't <laughs> see the court. Right. She, she can't play center. She, she's a winger. Right. Oh, that person can't handle large accounts, you know, and they make this, permanent assessment based on maybe one or two or three examples um, versus what, you know, especially if you're in your leadership position, what are we not offering them where mm-hmm. they're right, where they're missing the mark pretty consistently. I've never met, I don't know about you. I've never met a performer in any domain that wants to do poorly on purpose. No. Right? So, <laughs> so in my experience, if, if people are missing the mark kind of consistently it's like, you know, maybe something's going on outside of sport or outside of work. You know, maybe the environment's not meeting what they need. Maybe, and maybe it's just not a right fit. That, that happens too. And changes need to be made. That, that's part of life at times. But this, this idea that, oh, that, you know, they're not motivated. They're lazy. They're a bad teammate. They're this, they're that. Like, those are lazy assessments. So trying to understand what's going on, uh, you know, under that superficial level and trying to understand maybe what you're not offering them, you know, versus what they need. Mm, yeah. I mean, a great example is Tom Brady went 199th draft pick. Um, yeah. And they're like, you're skinny. He's out of shape, blah, blah, blah. And look what he went on to, to become. Right. And so someone made a, a quick judgment. Um, 
And obviously Tom had the, the growth mindset to say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I am these things right now in your view and in your opinion, but I'm going to be the greatest quarterback of all time and yeah. was able to go and, and make it happen. So I appreciate you sharing, especially on growth mindset and self-awareness, because I think a lot of people, they hear those words and they hear them in certain contexts, but they never hear like, okay, but how, you know, they have that mm-hmm. question of, okay, but like, how do I first start building that? How do I even realize that I'm not, you know, self-aware or I'm not this, right? And so I think curiosity and asking yourself as those questions and as many questions as you can really is, is a great basis. So appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'd also, uh, I think it's important to add in the room for Mm self-compassion, you know, like even though we're on this path of maybe self-awareness and we're trying to, you know, meditate and, and do all this stuff, there's going to be days where maybe we do have an emotional reaction or we do skip out on our mindfulness practice because we're tired and busy and running around and that just happens. Like there's, there's a difference between making excuses for ourselves and not holding ourselves accountable and creating room for self-compassion. There are going to be down days. Like we're all human beings. It's going to happen where we don't feel like training or we don't feel like going to work or we're not motivated, whatever. Um, so, so creating room for that and, and allowing room to maybe take one step back to take two steps forward, so to speak. So I think that's really important as well. I really appreciate you sharing that. I had a conversation with someone, you know, exactly about that. And I was saying um, in, in this conversation, I was saying, for example, like, you know, like love yourself who you are, um, but just, it doesn't like you wanting to be better or someone saying that you could achieve this doesn't mean that who you are is not enough now. It's just like, if you can make that self-improvement come from loving who you are in the moment, that just makes the process so much better. And I see it a lot, especially on social media. Um, There's people who are like, against the self-love movement because they feel that it it takes away from someone's you know trying to lose weight because they're unhealthy or or trying to build a a better mindset it's like no 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 these things work together and uh Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to navigate that i think especially nowadays with you know in social media you make a 15 second video and how do you motivate someone but also let them know it's okay whatever they're going through now right and so i'm glad that you touched on that yeah i know i think as you mentioned, it's such a, a difficult balance to strike where, you know, on one hand, we're happy with where we are and we're satisfied. But on the other hand, it's like, we're not satisfied. We want to, we want to learn and we want to improve our skills and we want to get better. And often, you know, there's a, at times there's a gap between like where we are and where we want to be. And that gap can be, can be very frustrating and, and decrease motivation and be depressing in some ways, even, you know? Um, so again, we want to recondition our, our mind as to, you know, instead of lamenting, Oh, I'm not where I want it to be, or I haven't lived up to what I thought I would be or something like that. It's, it's using that gap to say, okay, how do I, how do I fill it? What, what knowledge do I need? What practice do I need? How do I use it in an applied setting? Um, you know, there are, millions of people in the world who probably have filled that gap in this particular industry I'm trying to, to, to excel in. So can I reach out to them? Can I read, can I uh, consume, you know, YouTube and things like that, where, you know, that might get you on the right path. Obviously there's work that you would need to do on yourself, but getting yourself on the right path with some people who have maybe excelled in that industry before. 
Mm, yeah, there's, there's a CrossFit athlete and his like statement is happy, but hungry. And I love mm. that so much, right? Like he's happy in the moment and, and, but he's hungry for more. He wants to, to, to be the best and not to take away from his enjoyment of the present moment in any sense or who he is in that moment. So uh, I, I absolutely love that. And and one thing I, I want to quickly touch on um, here, because I know your, your business does this is creating the optimal work environment. Um, and I think this is really important for anyone who athletes who are forced to train at home right now or um, entrepreneurs, individuals who are forced to, you know, work at home and not have the same environment that they're used to. Um, you know, just just quickly, I guess, in, in a sense that anyone can understand, how can they create that environment to the best they can from home, from whatever they have, uh, you know, available to them now with the, the lockdowns? Sure. So in, in terms of a team setting, the, the first thing is trying to maintain that social support. It's obviously more difficult now we're not walking around the office and we're not you know just touching base at the you know at the water cooler so to speak yeah. um, but maintaining that social support and letting everyone know hey if, if you need anything I'm, I'm always here and keeping those lines of communication open so I think that's one thing and then asking their input you know what do you need from me if, if I'm you know what resources can I offer you if I'm in a leadership position and now you're at home Maybe, you know, you're at home in a one bedroom apartment and you're single and it's all good. Okay. What do you need? Maybe you need a little bit of a break to get outside, you know? Okay, cool. Maybe another employee or another team member, you know, they live in a house, but they've got three kids who are being homeschooled. Their spouse is also working from home. It's a disaster. It's chaotic. It's like, what do they need? Well, maybe they need, you know, more, more, maybe they need some leeway in terms of meeting times or, or flexibility that way. So getting them involved in that process now, I think is, is important. Um, I think making it very clear that we, we still value you as a person over your profits or a person over your performance, which sounds obvious. And I'm sure every organization is like, Oh yeah, we do that for sure. But making it like explicitly clear all the time that, you know, you are much more important to us as a person than as a sales rep, for example, or as a marketing manager or, or whatever. Right. Right. So, um, you know, maybe putting incentives in place or putting programs in place that can help people, um, work from home, you know, that can maybe if you had a gym at the office, maybe you give everyone a gym, a gym credit, uh, or send them, you know, a piece of exercise equipment or something where they can maintain their health or give them an exercise stipend or something, something like that, where they're still able to, you know, live a healthy life um, rather than, you know, we're all, maybe we have stand up desks, but a lot of us are sitting at home, you know, sitting down at the same desk every day, hunched over, not terribly healthy way to work. So, you know, offering different programs that way might be effective too. Yeah, that's awesome. I think from a leadership standpoint, that's great. And then from an individual perspective, probably you can just do the same things for yourself, right? Give yourself that extra empathy, that extra self-love and just like, like understand that you're dealing with a lot of unknowns and different variables, but at the same time, still holding yourself to um, that improvement or that growth that you want to keep, keep pushing on. For sure. And another thing I would say is, you know, I, I would hope most organizations, most teams have, you know, a mission statement or a culture or different values, a purpose of some kind. And again, consistently communicating that and saying, okay, how can we still advance this purpose or live this mission statement from home? 
you know, um, how can we still display gratitude? Maybe if that's a value they hold, how can we still uh, improve our community? How can we still have integrity working from home? So just opening those conversations. And if, again, if you're in a leadership position, like truly listening, you know, not dominating the conversation as a lot of coaches and, and leaders often do, but creating space for people to kind of solve their own problems and understanding, okay, you know, again, how can we, how can we continue to, to advance the cause of the organization when we're all separate? Uh, I think that's always a, a meaningful conversation, but can be a fun one as well. Mm, yeah, there's one thing I have learned is that you got to let people come to their own uh, conclusions and figure things out on themselves rather than just telling them, right? There might be some resentment there. Um, it, it's it's usually better if you can just empower others on how they can figure that stuff out on, on their own. Yeah, no, it's kind of, uh, it's funny you say that because it's so common and it's kind of the uh, potentially be curse of, of being in a leadership position where you know, as a manager or as a coach or as a teacher, like we want to provide uh, information. We want to provide resources. We want to prove our competence. You know, we're the coach or the leader or the manager. We want to make, we want to let people know that we know what we're doing. You know, that's kind of human nature in a way, but it, ha- it does have its drawbacks where there are moments, as you mentioned, you know, eliciting information is much more effective than just providing information. You know, so instead of telling someone something, it's like, what do you guys think? You know, a, a simple question, as simple as it sounds, um, and then truly listening and, and, you know, within reason, implementing their suggestions or implementing their ideas. So I, th- I think organizations that don't have that, that space for honest conversations are going to be ones that maybe get, get a little stuck and, and don't innovate as well or, or don't kind of move forward with, with the times changing and things like that where, you know, people might have ideas, but they feel like they might be reprimanded if they bring them up or they might feel like they, uh, you know, they'd be ridiculed or something like that. They won't be listened to. And eventually they just, they just stop putting their hand up in the meetings. Right. So uh, that's mm-hmm. not what we want to do. So c- truly and honestly creating space for your employees, I think is, is tremendously important. Yeah, I think it applies sports teams, families, even like any situation where there's multiple people involved there is relevant. So I'd like to end things off with two questions. Um, The first one is, what is one daily habit that is the biggest game changer in your life? So in the last few months, I've tried to really have a daily mindfulness routine. And I would be lying if I said it's every single day. It's probably maybe hopefully four or five, six days a week where I literally take like one or two songs. It's, it's honestly five minutes and I lie down and I breathe and I try to pay attention to my breath and try to let my mind wander at times and, uh, and kind of see that balance. And I just use it to recenter. I, I use it if I'm, if I find I'm having a hectic day and I need to like separate a few events throughout my day. Um, I, I use it then. I use it to calm down. So I, I typically try to do it when I wake up uh, and before I go to bed. So awesome. and and if I don't do it, then I probably do it in in the early or the mid afternoon, kind of right. like mid afternoon kind of slump. We all get kind of tired after lunch type of thing. So that that's one thing that I've tried to incorporate on a daily basis that I find is tremendously energizing, and and it's not a huge strain on my day. Like I said, it's five to 10 minutes. So that's, that would be one thing that I've tried to incorporate on a daily basis. That is, that have really uh, allowed me to experience some, some great benefits. 
Yeah. I mean, I think like those days that you can really be mindful and those that five minutes is like easy in a sense, you get a really great energy from it. But those days that it's hard, there's this huge long-term benefits of that because you're overcoming and building the reps of becoming more mindful. So, you know, some people, they might say, oh, well, I can't get into meditation. I can't get into this, you know, that zone. I'm like, those are, that's good. Like um, that, that's building the reps. Uh, and, and so I think there's so, so much value short-term and long-term to even just taking five minutes for yourself. So I appreciate you sharing that. And then the last one, and I might try to shift this question a bit because so usually I ask people if you're like a hundred years old, looking back on your life, what do you want your legacy to be? And my last guest had a a great point on legacy. Like ultimately, unless, you know, even if you think about Shakespeare, this is uh, an example he brought up. We just know, what do we actually know about him? We just know like those words that he left behind. Um, So for many of us, um, it may be more important. It's like, what, what is your purpose? If, if you could look back, like, what was your purpose? What did you accomplish? If, if you've accomplished everything, um, that you wanted to, what would that look like to you? Great question. So the, our, my, my organization's purpose, which I guess is my personal purpose is to bring people together in pursuit of great challenges. So whether it's, I've been coaching hockey for 10 years, whether it's coaching hockey teams, you know, we want to bring people together to feel like they're part of the team and then to compete with each other and train and, and obviously with a pursuit of maybe, you know, either team success, making the playoffs, maybe winning championships, things like that, but also personal success. They, you know, a lot of them want to either play pro or get scholarships or things like this. So we're, we're bringing people together to pursue great challenges so that's the coaching aspect. And even with my, with the organization now with Emergent and the consulting that we do, you know, whether it's with an organization or a sport organization or a private school or whatever it might be, and we're bringing people together to do hard things. So if I can help galvanize people together and, and help them, you know, get over adversity and, and find meaning in those things. And, and again, not only achieve difficult goals, but find meaning in pursuit of those goals. I think that would be something that I could probably be okay with on my deathbed, hopefully. (laughs) Awesome. I love that. And I think I'm going to continue to ask that question in this manner, rather than just like before it was like, could you describe your legacy in one word Um, looking back? But I think uh, this opens up like a so much more insight. So really appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's awesome that your organizational mission and purpose matches your personal, because I think, that's, that's, you know, businesses to start with a why. And I think that's where things are moving and where we have, you know, social entrepreneurship where you're solving a bigger problem rather than just profits or whatever some businesses <laughs> try to do. So appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. And where can people find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, my, my pleasure for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. Um, our web, our company is called Emergent. And the website is workwithemergent.com. Our Instagram is workwithemergent. So it's kind of the tagline that, that we use. And uh, my email is matt at workwithemergent.com. So uh, happy, you know, check us out on Instagram, check us out on LinkedIn. And uh, we, we, you know, we try to throw some stories up and, and some links and different content so people can digest it easily on, on their own time. And, uh, and yeah, people can reach out to us there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. It was uh, my pleasure to hear, hear your stories and provided some insight for me and hopefully some insight for the, for the listeners here. Awesome. Thanks very much, Natalie. 
Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.